these last three songs. Hmm. They just have such meaning, Father, and such worship to you. Please humble us. Help us to be your servants. And please accept our worship to you as a sweet sound to your ears. Father, we exalt Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us power. That we might serve you and carry out your work, Father. We look forward to this morning and the time in your word now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles, God's words, if you would, to Nehemiah. Surely can attest to this from her days of doing bulletins, and Stephen can testify now to it and waiting on Saturday night for me to get him a title to the message. Took me a while to get used to doing that, but I got about six titles for this week's message, all right? Okay, the one, the one that we've got up here is Unforgettable Forgotten's. It could also be the forgotten heroes. It could be we are a free will offering to the Lord. Make me a servant. Or we are somebody's nobodies. Take your pick. As we get into Nehemiah, hopefully you'll understand and find one that works for you for this week's message. Nehemiah chapter 11. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of back in 1976. Do you remember that year, Joshua? 1976, that, was that before you were born? Just a few years, yeah. Let's see, you don't remember 1976 either, do you, Olivia? No, no. Your mom probably doesn't even remember that year. <laughs> 1976, America's 200th birthday, the bicentennial. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of him and his wife taking a two-week tour up and down the East Coast, um, mostly up through you know, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., Philadelphia, up to New England, seeing all the monuments, all the historical landmarks, seeing the, the, the history of the birthplace of America. Names like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, and Patrick Henry. A couple of those guys signed that Declaration of Independence we were talking about a couple weeks ago. One of the 56 signatures that dedicated their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for our country. Flash forward a few years, he and his family are driving from San Francisco down the the coast to, to L.A., in California, and on the right, they got the surf, and on the left, they got the, the mountains in the distance, and they're, they're laughing, having a good old time. They come 
Breast of Hill, and the car starts to get quiet. Off on the left is row upon row of small white crosses. The family just, whew. it's like somebody let the air out of the tires. And his son says, Dad, what's that? Chuck says, well, son, that's a military cemetery. That's where men and women who died in serving our country are buried. He says, Chuck says, few remember them, son, but they are the reason that we are free today. As we look into Nehemiah chapter 11, we see a lot of unknowns, a lot of names that there's not a lot said about them. Their name may be mentioned once and, and that's it. And there's, there's groups of people whose names aren't even listed. And yet, their service was given in obedience to God so that God's work would continue, so that the nation of Israel would continue and their story and his story would continue to be told. Now, one thing we've seen in Nehemiah is, is a lot of lists. In chapter 7, and I've got them written down because you know I won't remember each one of them. See, I'm already going to skip chapter 3. Chapter 3, there's a list of names of people that worked on the wall to rebuild the wall, and it tells you where they built and where it was near their homes, some of them, some of them not, but it gave you an idea of where they were building around the city of Jerusalem, for that is the, the goal and the purpose of the book of Nehemiah is to tell us about the rebuilding. Chapter 7, we have a long list of names of individuals who returned with Zerubbabel and whose families and descendants were still in Jerusalem well, not, not actually so much in Jerusalem as living around it. Because we remember that when the walls were, were broken down and there wasn't much to them, it wasn't a real safe place to live. It was real easy for warring parties, robbers, thieves, whatever, to come in because there was no protection. There was no wall built. And we remember that that, that wall had a twofold purpose. One was to create a safe zone where inside those walls that the Jews could could enforce God's law, where it could be carried out. And then obviously for protection to keep the riffraff on the outside, to keep those that weren't wanted out so that they had the, the opportunity to separate themselves to God. Chapter 8, the leaders that were, if you remember, leading the revival at Watergate, Nehemiah, the, the people asked, excuse me, asked Ezra to pull out God's word and read God's word. And they read it for six or eight hours straight. And the people stood and they listened. And some of the Levites were there to give understanding and, and help explain it to them. Chapter 10, we, we find kind of our, our equivalent to what we compared a couple of weeks ago to our Declaration of Independence. But it was the signing of the covenant they were signing the covenant saying that they were going to keep the covenant that was between them and God. Saying that they wanted to live a life that was pleasing to Him. 
that they wanted to, to live a life that was about him and not about them. So in chapter 11, we, we see a list of names and all these, all these lists all through the book are, are lists of, of people that were working on the projects and, and helping to fulfill the purpose of Nehemiah coming back from captivity. And in, in chapter 11, we're going to uh, break them down a little bit. Uh, you'll see in verses um, 4 through 9, you'll see people from Judah and Benjamin that were moving into Jerusalem, and we'll touch on that in a minute, a little more detail there. Uh, 10 through 24 talks about the priests, the Levites, and the temple workers and what they were doing. In verses 25 to 36, we don't have people listed, but we have villages lifted, listed where the, the Jews were living outside of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Turn with me just briefly back to chapter 9. Verse 2. I'm going to jump around just a little bit until we settle in here. Chapter 9, verse 2. And the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Again, briefly what we talked about the wall, the purpose and intent of the wall was to separate them. There, there comes a point in our lives, we, we have neighbors that don't know Jesus and they need us to be there to be the salt and the light to tell them about Jesus. But at the same time, we are to be separate from them. We learn from 1 Corinthians 6 that saved should not marry unsaved. There's no fellowship between light and darkness. No fellowship between Christ and Belial. That there needs to be that separation from the world to God. That was the intention of the purpose of the wall. And if you look at chapter 10, verse 28, again, talks about the separation. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all those who had knowledge and understanding, are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Remember, that was the covenant those 84 men were signing. To keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. It doesn't do any of us any good to live inside that safe zone of the wall if we don't live, I mean, you know, just purely for the sake of separation. It doesn't do any good and serves no purpose if we do not keep and observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. So there was to be a separation and, and through this process, well, part of it was to verify citizenship because they didn't want non-Jews living inside the, inside the city gate, it's the walls, that could cause strife and disharmony. Remember Sam Ballot and Tobiah? Those were a couple of nice characters, weren't they? Always trying to cause grief and not always trying but and succeeding causing real struggles for, for Nehemiah, tested his leadership skills. 
to get them to the to the point where next week we're gonna we're gonna dedicate the wall, the completion. But we needed to verify the citizenship. And back in chapter seven, I won't read the verses, but Nehemiah seven sixty one to sixty five. Again, it was saying that there were there were some that were disqualified for coming in because they couldn't prove their citizenship. If you're going to sell a dog as a purebred dog, you got to have paperwork from the AKA, American Kennel Association, something like that. Well, if you wanted to live inside the walls, you had to have the paperwork that could trace your family's history, that you were you had the right to be there. And then 63, verse 63 to 65 in, in chapter 7, some priests were disqualified because they couldn't prove their lineage, their, their families hadn't taken the time to document and verify who they were. You're out. You can't be a priest. Now, remember what we said and have said. All priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So even though there were some Levites that couldn't prove their right to be priests, they were still Levites and still had work to do. And we're going to look at some of that in a, f- a few minutes here. Just as a, a couple words of cautions, as, as we, we look through this list of names and, and we think about all the different titles I had, Make Me a Servant, Forgotten Heroes, The Unforgettable Forgettables, Somebody's Nobody's. There's, there's a word of caution here. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 from the scripture reading that Don did for us this morning. Now let's look at verse 10. Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Turn with me to Matthew, chapter 6. Again, caution and warning. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now, you got an option. Who would you rather receive your rewards for doing ministry for? Would you rather receive your rewards from God? Or would you rather receive them from men? The attaboy, pats on the back, the recognition. Not, not that we can't be appreciated and that we can't say, thank you for making a lot of cookies this week. But who would you rather receive your reward from? Okay, got one right answer, thank you. God, that's right. How much more, how much more rich? How much more richly? I'm trying to get the good grammar here. Help me out, teachers. How much richer will be our reward when it comes from God 
than it does from man. Again, don't turn back to it, but Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work. He will not forget. You will be rewarded at the right time. But this is for you to check your own heart and, and evaluate. As we sang that song, Make me a servant humble. That's, that's not a, 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 what do I say, a catchphrase in the world today. Be ye humble. Yeah, right. It's all about me and what I want. Get out of my way. And if i got to run over you, so be it. But I'm going to get what I want. God will not forget. Sometimes people may seem unappreciative. It's all right. You're going to get it someday. Good or bad, what we earn, deserve. Or if your heart's not right, you're not going to get it someday. God will not forget. He says it. His word says it. He will not forget what you do for him. Okay? He will not forget. So let's just make our, make sure that... that We take care of our own hearts and make sure that our service is done for him and not for ourselves, not for the pats on the back or the attaboys. All right, let's get into Nehemiah chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Turn back with me to chapter 7. Verses 1 through 4. Now it came about when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed, that I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man, and feared God more than many. Well, that'd be a nice epitaph on your tombstone, wouldn't it? Seriously. I mean, that's a great one. He feared God more than many, or she feared God more than many. Verse 3, Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. While they were standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Okay, initially we're focusing on getting that wall rebuilt. Back to chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and they were about the only ones. There weren't many more. Up to the point where the wall was rebuilt, hadn't been a popular place, and guess what? Now that the walls are rebuilt, if the enemy's going to attack, where are they going to attack? The hundreds of villages out away from Jerusalem? No, they're coming for the... The, the, big, the Big Bang. They're coming to take the city. And, and we talk, we're going to talk a little bit more later about the guards. All the, all the wealth, when all the people brought their tithe into the temple. It wasn't quite Fort Knox. I don't think that it was quite that much gold there, but it needed to be guarded. It needed to be protected. And if you were going to move into that city, one, you were going to have less land, okay, because there's only so much land inside, you know, 
I don't think there were probably too many flocks in Jerusalem, flocks of sheep and goats and camels and donkeys. I mean, I'm sure there were some, but not flocks. So if you were going to come live in the city, you were going to give up land, which, which probably meant you were going to give up some wealth to some extent. And you were putting a bullseye on your back if you're living in the city because that's where the enemy is going to come and attack. So who wants to go live in the city? I mean, they didn't have a standing army. There still weren't that many people back. It wasn't hundreds of thousands like there is later in their history or like there was before. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem. Anybody know what we preached on last week? Tithing. Yeah, and I learned my lesson. I'm never warning you a week ahead of time when I'm preaching on tithing because I think there was half this many here last week. So next time you're just going to get it. I'm not going to warn you. But he was talking about tithing. And there was the four different, the four different parts. Started out with the temple tax. Remember back then, that, that would have been the equivalent of about 64 cents, but today it, it, the equivalent is better thought of as two days' wages. The temple tax, the wood offering, that even the poor that didn't have a sheep to give could bring wood to be burned because the brazen altar, the fire was never to go out on it. The first fruits, the first and the best of your, your crops and, and your, your animals, even your sons were to be given to the Lord in ministry for service. And then it talked about the tithe, and for those that aren't here, this is why I'm going to repeat this, just so you get this. The first 10% went to the Levites, and of all that came into the Levites, they took 10% of that and gave it to the priests. Okay, but that's your first 10%. Then you gave 10% for why? Come on. Okay, the, the, the temple, or the, the tithe, yeah, the first ten tithe was just for the Levites. That, that wasn't really the whole tithe. So you gave, then you gave 10% of the 90% that you had left. So you're right around 20%, just a, a little less than 20%. And then every third year, you had to give another 10%. And that was to be stored for the, for the poor, to provide the poor. How cool would that be if we didn't have to have a national welfare system? If the church took care of what it was supposed to. No, we don't we don't do that, do we, unfortunately. But that's that's you know every every year twenty percent and every third year thirty percent. And we talked about the willing heart in the New Testament, that we're not locked into a percentage. If God tells you two percent, you better give two percent. If he tells you twenty five percent, you better give twenty five percent. That's between you and him. But he was looking for a willing heart. And it's just interesting that Nehemiah, right on the tails of, the, of, of chapter 10 and talking about the tithing that was to be done to take care of the house of our God, he tithes the people. He tithes the people. 10% of them. They're, well, maybe they didn't think they were lucky. But 10% of the people were to come in and start to repopulate the city. 
As we read in verse 2, And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. There was another group of people who chose to volunteer to move into the city, to move into Jerusalem. Now this is, this is for those of you that want to go deeper. Um, I, I wouldn't go there just because it doesn't really fit in with the message, but the idea is the same here as is in verse 2, is if you go to Exodus 35, write that down. But the term there is this exact same term used here in Nehemiah for the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem, and of course they'd take their families with them. But there was something inside them, in the word dictionarily means to impel or to incite from within. Some people, God stirred inside them the willingness to volunteer to move into the city because just the 10% wasn't going to fill it up, wasn't going to be what they needed to, to fill the city and to rebuild it. It wasn't a great prospect looking ahead. Because you still had rubble to clean up. I mean, they got the wall rebuilt, but there was still rubble and, and garbage and stuff that had to be cleaned up in the city before you could rebuild your house. So there was a lot of work ahead. It, it, you know, just because the wall was built doesn't mean the work was done. There was more to be done, more to do. But God moved in some of their hearts and in some of their lives to volunteer to go into the city and to live there. Again, it was dangerous to to live in Jerusalem because basically you got a bullseye on, you got a target right on the city. Warren Wearsby says, never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic ministry, but simply being there is a ministry. These people that moved in, that that, you know, obeyed, and the the ten percent that were tithed into the city, and then those that volunteered, were giving a sacrifice of worship to the to their God, to our heavenly Father. They were making a sacrifice for the generations of Jews to come to, to build that city up. And just like Warren Wiersbe said, sometimes it's just about being there. It's about being present, about being where God wants you to be. Are you where God wants you to be? So they cast lots, some volunteered, and there are some specific groups who willingly gave something. A couple names are mentioned, but most were anonymous. Look with me at verse, uh, the first group was those that volunteered to move into the city in verses 1 and 2. Now we'll look at verses 10 and 10 through 12. From the priests, Jedariah the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitab, the leader of the house of God, and their kinsmen who performed the work of the temple. 
822. Obviously, we don't have a list of 822 names. So many of those that volunteered to move into the city. See, at the time, the Levites and the priests were scattered around to the villages to offer sacrifices where they were at. Now, we needed to bring it back. We needed to bring the focus back to Jerusalem, to the holy city, to the temple, where the sacrifices could be done properly on the altar. So we need priests and Levites to come back in to take care of that. And here we have 822 of them ready to do that. And if they listed all 822 names, you know I wouldn't be trying to read them all. <laughs> Some, somebody made the comment that they were unknowns and their names were unpronounceable. I agree wholeheartedly. Verses 15 and 16. Now, from the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Ezrakam, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, and Shabbatai, and Jazabed, from the leaders of the Levites who were in charge of the outside work of the house of God. There's another group that, that are there to do the work. It's outside, so we know it's that it's Levites. We notice here that it's Levites. At verse 10, it was the priests. And here we have the distinction that it's the Levites. So it's Levites that are not serving as priests. But there's other work to be done that they're qualified to do. Yes, they, they, they took care of the, the landscaping, the, the physical needs of the, the plant, as we would say today. But they all took, also took care of the counseling. And visitation. They ministered in, in ways that they weren't allowed to because they weren't priests. They handled the civil affairs and judged, made judgments in, in matters that I know I always get that vision of Solomon in my head ready to you know cut the baby in half. That that kind of wisdom to carry those out. And that's what these Levites were qualified to do, and that's what they moved into the city to do and to help with. We have another individual in verse 17, Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph. Does anybody remember who Asaph was? A lot of the Psalms were written by Asaph. He was the choir director. Okay? He was the choir director. Asaph Okay, this, this next paragraph is referring back to Mataniah, who was the leader in beginning the thanksgiving at prayer. Then it lists a couple other names I'm not even going to try. The unsung heroes of the church of Jesus Christ is the kneeling saint. That would be a nice epitaph to have on your gravestone too, wouldn't it? This guy wore out his knees praying. This man uplifted everybody else in the body through prayer. Prayer warriors. That's what this man was known for. But Madaniah was on his knees to carry out his ministry 
And in verse 18 there, it says, All the Levites in the holy city were 284. I'm sure that Madaniah was not the only one that was praying. But some of the others, of of that 284, again, were taking care of the civil affairs, judging and and counseling and and ministering that way. Verse 19, our fifth group. Also the gatekeepers. Akub, Talman, and their brethren were to keep watch at the gates, 172 of them. Again, they were to watch the gates, one for to keep, to keep out the riffraff, to keep out those that didn't need to be in the city. Again, it wasn't based on race, but it was based on hearts. It was based on the, the, the people that loved God to keep that separation between them and the world. It was the purpose and the reason, and to guard the temple and the, the, the money that was there, the, the grain, and the, the, just all the tithes that were brought in. The gatekeepers were to protect and to keep that. And uh, the last one in verse 22 says, Now the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah from the sons of Asaph, who were the singers for the service of the house of God. Now they were Levites, so they made their living singing. Because if they were Levites, they got that one-tenth of the, the, the tithe, 10% of the tithe that each of the people would bring in each year to the temple. So these, these guys made their living serving God, singers for the service of the house of God. I think of big choirs, I always think, just going back to the Getty conferences, we've had the privilege of being at. And the song, I remember the very first one, the song leader said, hey guys, this is just warming up for heaven. This is just practice. But when you sing with five or 7,000 other people, just lifting their voice and praising the same God. If that doesn't lift your spirits. And most of them were, well, everybody there was to be either a music leader in their church or the pastor. And thank goodness more were music leaders than pastors. It wasn't just a bunch of pastors. Moody's conference, pastor's conference several years ago, it was just pastors. And it was, it was wonderful to hear a male choir and the voices, but I'm sure the quality wasn't quite what we got when you had a bunch of the, the music leaders from the churches singing. I get goosebumps just thinking about being in heaven singing to God with a perfect voice someday. How glorious that'll be. They had a ministry to carry out, and they were doing it willingly, and you only have a few names listed there. But we know that, oh, did I lose a number? No. But we know that, that there was more than just the, the, the few names listed here in that choir to sing praise to God so that what we sing to him might be a sweet sound to his ears. For those in the church that and, I, and I'm, you know I'm going to forget somebody, and I wrote a bunch down that I could think of, so I didn't forget. But those that play instruments, those that sing, those that are in the nursery and teach, that do snacks, that work in the library, that do, that do the sound system, 
that make cards and send cards for people's birthdays and anniversaries and if they're sick, for making cookies, for doing flowers and decorations, for working on floats and parades, working in VBS, willing, willingly doing this without public applause. Because from Hebrews and God's words, we know that he will not forget our work. He will not forget our work. He will reward us what we do for him. We need to be a free will offering to God. Our heart and our attitude needs to be make me a servant. Help me to be willing to serve when nobody's looking. To do whatever it takes for God's name, for His glory, for His kingdom. Willing, joyous obedience. A free will offering to the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the rain that you've given us the last few days just to, to keep your beautiful creation green and, and to help keep fire danger down. But Lord, it's it's been wonderful to get some rain and we thank you for it. We thank you for your creation that we can watch it blossom and bloom and grow different flowers in different seasons. Thank you for that, Father. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of, of these that were serving anonymously but willingly. Who cared more about what God wanted for their lives than what they wanted. Thank you, Father, for their example. Humble us. Help us to willingly serve you, Father. There's so many opportunities each and every day. A lot of times we don't see you work because we're not looking for you. Help us to keep our eyes open and look and see how you're working in our lives. See how you're working in the lives of those around us. Thank you for those that serve in the, in the nursery, and, and I didn't mention children's church. Thank you, Father, and, and let that be part of our offering to you. That it would just be a sweet savor and a fragrance to you as we worship our worship our God through through our lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Baby Pantry this week.